Welcome back. 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here, taking up to 4 o'clock. And um, certainly when you're covering college sports nowadays, uh, you're covering the athletes themselves and NIL and all this sort of stuff. And, of course, we have our eyes on NCAA football 2024, which hopefully will come out at some point. Uh, EA's trying to fight really hard to get it out. And uh, there's a bunch of people doing some great coverage of this uh, story. And uh, joining us now from Front Office Sports, it's the sports business reporter, uh, Amanda Kristovich. Amanda, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks for having me on. No problem, Amanda. So obviously we've seen the stories the last day or two about this lawsuit that the Brander Group is doing and EA saying, ah, it shouldn't be much of a worry. What is it the latest that you're hearing with regards to this uh, video game coming out? Yeah, so when the lawsuit was first filed, um, the you know folks at EA told a couple news outlets they didn't expect that this would cause a delay um, at all. But um, in the last few days, uh, the Brander Group has filed what is called a temporary restraining order, which theoretically could delay the game depending on a few factors. So they're trying to get EA to not be able to do business with the athletes and schools that they say they have jurisdiction over until the lawsuit um, is settled. So first of all, there are a couple steps to whether or not the court would even approve that. Let's say they do. Um, I think the game would still be safe to come out in the summer of 2024 unless that temporary restraining order continued until um, probably like the spring. Um, so we heard is also part of this that EA said they had never actually made an official offer. Do you believe them or do you think that they made the $500 offer and now they're reconsidering it because of this lawsuit? that they were strongly considering the $500 offer. And, um, you know, and the $500 offer isn't even the most important part of, of what the athletes would be getting. The fact that they wouldn't be offered royalties is really the bigger, um, I guess, scandal. And it, it seems like that that's what EA thought was going to be enough. And then you know, when the contra- when the news came out and then the controversy started to swirl, I think they sort of leaned into this idea that since we haven't offered it to athletes, it's not official. But it's not like I've heard that they're reconsidering, um, whether it be reconsidering the $500 or reconsidering the royalties uh, piece of it. Do you think this is a PR move for the Brander Group, who only has 54 schools under its belt? Like, do you think this is them trying to fight and have more schools be like, ooh, let's go join them because they only have 54 of them? I definitely think that it's a PR move for them, but I don't think it's because of the lack of schools. They have 54 schools, actually, who would be involved in the game. They have um, more than 80 schools total, but what does seem to be the PR move that they're trying to make is that they're trying to make the lawsuit sound like this athlete's rights crusade. Like, in the same breath that they were criticizing the deal for not being fair for athletes, they were also kind of filing this lawsuit. The lawsuit has nothing to do with how much the athletes are getting paid. It's about who has jurisdiction over negotiating on athletes' behalf, right? So they were definitely trying to use the lawsuit as positive PR. But regardless of what it's about, I mean, folks have been pretty critical of the lawsuit, particularly those who want the game to come out no matter what. 
And it also feels like, you know, we're worrying about the top-end players, you know, the Caleb Williams, the Drake Mays. But, like, you have to wonder, the third-string quarterback, the third-string running back, like, $500 for them is is a lot of money. Do you think we're just, that this story is just kind of taking the top-line players in, in, in into account? You know, I think the $500 piece, definitely yes. But again, um, not offering athletes royalties, right, which would be recurring checks that they could be receiving for the rest of their lives, depending on how the sales of the game um, evolve over time. Not offering that would be a huge blow, in my opinion, to the, the, the third-string quarterbacks of the world because those folks are not going to the NFL, right? I mean, only 2% of football players make it to the NFL, so – this is an opportunity for them to be getting, you know, frankly, five-figure checks um, multiple throughout their lives for participating in this game because everyone gets paid the same amount in a video game. So, you know, again, the sign-up bonus is not really the bigger issue. I would be really sad for, for players who won't make the NFL if they don't get um, the opportunity to receive royalties. Who represents the other schools, or what's going on with the schools that are not involved with this lawsuit? Is there another group that's is seemingly okay with what's going on, or are the schools representing themselves? Uh, so, few different answers to that question. There's a similar company called One Team Partners that is the company that is working with EA to facilitate the deals. One Team doesn't necessarily represent the schools specifically. As you said, there are a lot of schools where nobody represents them. Um, And that is, you know, this is like indicative of a much larger issue in the NIL era, which is that since there's no players union or players association that's official for all um, FBS or Power 5 football players, however you want to put it, um, there's this power vacuum. You know, there's Brandar Group, one team, then there are folks who don't have any group licensing, right? Um, And in the pros, this would be negotiated by a players union. So it's really unclear who should be negotiating on the players' behalf when there isn't a players' union. Um, And it's also unclear, in my opinion, why the schools would be bundled into those negotiations as well. How much, and I obviously take your time with this answer, but how much has the NCAA botched this whole NIL rollout thing? Their their heart is in the (laughs) right place, but it feels like the execution is horrible. Yeah, I, I think... I would agree that they've botched it. I can give you maybe a reason why they've botched it. The reason why is because they they wanted, you know, they've always wanted to exert as much control over athlete compensation as humanly possible in order to protect their concept of amateurism, right? What's going on with NIL collectives now, for example, is not what the NCAA wanted. Um, They didn't want, you know, donors and boosters, effectively paying players, you know, using NIL to pay players, but there's such a market for that that they couldn't stop it. The reason they couldn't was because of the um, NCAA v. Alston case, which was decided around this time, actually, in 2021, the Supreme Court case. It wasn't about NIL, but it was an antitrust case that basically said, hey, the courts are going to really strictly scrutinize how the NCA handled its athlete compensation restrictions and could absolutely be taken to court if it tries to restrict too much or place too many rules. And that's why the NCA ultimately has done nothing and is now begging Congress for help. But again, 
they're focused on control rather than protecting the athletes. And I think that's the biggest part that they've botched. It does feel like the one positive is we heard last year that Oscar Shibway and Drew Timmy both came back to school because they were making more NIL money than they would in the NBA. It feels like that was an unintended positive that some of the players actually stayed in school making college basketball better last year. Absolutely. I mean, I've written about that um, actually just a couple weeks ago that it's a growing phenomenon that players who, you know, are on the bubble of getting drafted or maybe even who think they will get drafted but, you know, are enjoying being in college, enjoying playing college basketball, they don't have to make that choice between their education and their college experience and potentially a salary that they or their families might really need. And I'd also like to point out that on the women's basketball side, it's similar. The draft rules are different for women's basketball. They have to be in school longer. But um, the WNBA salaries are not paying as much as a lot of the women's basketball players are making in NIL. So they're also opting to stay, um, you know, and, and kind of push off the WNBA draft because they're getting more money also. So it's benefiting basketball players all around. Talking with Amanda Kristovich of uh, FrontOfficeSports.com. You can read her work there. Uh, you also recently did a story on Notre Dame and what they will be looking for in their next media negotiations. And there's a little caveat in there that they may, if they don't get the stuff that they want with regards to TV, they may have to go to a power conference. Uh, what are you finding with regards to Notre Dame and their next round of negotiations? Yeah, it's really it's a really interesting situation that Notre Dame is in because for the first time ever, um, you know, in I guess you could say the modern media rights era, Notre Dame might make more money by joining an SEC or a Big Ten than they would uh, with their current media rights setup, which is that they get a smaller portion than the rest of the schools, but still, you know, over $10 million a year from the ACC for all their sports besides football. And then they have the football-only contract with NBC that pays out about $22 million a year, right? So that's around low to mid $30 million, depending on the year. Um, but if they can't get a significant increase in that football rights money, because the ACC contract is locked in for the next decade-plus, um, you know, they're going to be behind some of the Big Ten schools, for example, who by the end of their new media contract, um, you know, in five, six years, are going to be making up to $90 million a year total. So, you know, it's, it's very unclear what direction they're going to go in because Notre Dame has always been very gung-ho about being independent for football. But, you know, the, the numbers might speak volumes that, you know, they might be considering going to – a power conference for football for the first time, you know, and in this in this modern era. In 2024, they're going to have a new AD, and he's the NBC Sports chairman. We saw at Syracuse that John Wildhack, who came over from ESPN, took over, and he has, I mean, not done a great job as the athletic director at Syracuse. How do we think Pete Bevacqua would do as the new AD at Notre Dame? Well, theoretically, um, he would absolutely be the right person to shepherd Notre Dame through this next media round of media rights negotiations. But I would like to point out to listeners that the athletic director is not the person who makes the decision about media rights contracts. Ultimately, that's the university president. So while he's certainly going to play a, a huge role in this, he's not ultimately going to be the one making the decision. 
And something that we forget in the college football world and the college sports world and is that university presidents have a lot of folks to answer to. And Notre Dame joining a power conference for all of its sports, leaving the ACC, and also depending on where they go, is, is going to involve a lot more than just the considerations of football. Uh, last thing for you, uh, you know, I'm looking at your list of stories here, and, and you mentioned the collectives when we talked about NIL. Year three, mm-hmm. the, the you used the B word, billion dollars, uh, that mm-hmm. is going to be involved. I mean, it, that feels like it even surpasses what I would think. Did it surpass what you would think for, for how much NIL money is being put around? You know what? I wasn't surprised at that number. Um, I would be curious to see the specifics, but I think, you know, since I've started covering NIL, it's been pretty clear that eventually it was going to reach a billion-dollar industry. You know, what I will point out that I think is the most interesting part of the year two data coming from multiple NIL companies is that there, it seems to be a consensus from the data that NIL collectives are driving three-quarters of the revenue um, in NIL that's being passed along to players, right? So they're really the major share of the market, um, in, you know, even when you think of, like, the Nikes and Adidas of the world. And, and I found that to be very interesting. 